You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, I'm going to uh, start today where we ended last week and just tell you, welcome home. You are fully known, you are fully loved, welcome home. I'll tell you this morning, I hope that you can come into this sanctuary and recognize that there's a party going on, that the Father has established you with, his, with the robe, He's established you with, your, with His shoes, He's established you with the ring that He's placed on your finger, he has established you as a, as a prodigal that has come home and, and there's celebration over you today because of your coming home. But I, I say that because I still know that many who will recognize that in their heads, recognize that in their minds, even recognize it in their hearts, still have a hard time believing there's a party going on on your behalf. There's a party going on because you have come home. I tell you again, I hope, that, I hope that's the heart that you carry. I hope that's where you find yourself this morning. Home, right here among this body, among these believers, among these brothers and sisters. We know, we know it's true, and it, it, I hope it's not true for you, but so often church feels nothing like home. It feels nothing like home for many who come. We feel like we're strangers and sometimes even feel like we're unwanted or unloved. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. If you want to go ahead and and turn there, Hebrews 2 will be our text. But it says this. It says that God has brought us into his family. Now, I want, us, I want us to notice something about this as we, as we begin to move forward, that he has invited us into his family. Our attempts, please listen to this, our attempts to be a family without him will become very forced and very uncomfortable. Think about this for just a second. If we try to somehow create an atmosphere in here, of a family, loving each other, embracing each other, caring about each other, if we try to do that on our own, then you will be able to tell that we're having to work at it. It's, it's a bit forced, and it will be a bit uncomfortable. It's like having dinner at somebody's house for the first time, and you realize that you've got food stuck in your teeth. It's just a bit uncomfortable when you realize what the situation is. You can force it, but you'll recognize that it's not genuine. It's not real. It's because this is not our family. We're not trying to form a family. I have seen churches focus on this, put a great deal of attention on us being a family. Well, the scripture is going to make it very clear as we open it in just a few minutes is that he has invited us into his family. If we try to be a family without him, it will not work. We're only a family with him. We're only a family if the family is built around him. 
and we'll understand this just a little bit better. I want us to know this because when, when we see things like happened last week, when we see the conversation that, that Lisa and Andrew shared with us, for Andrew to stand here and tell of the brokenness of his story, and it was extreme. You know, most of us can relate in portion, but cannot relate fully to all that he was telling us about his life. All the way back to five years old when his mother passed away. And I thought he said it so well when he said that people would tell him as a little boy, well, she's in a better place. And he's saying, how can that be? I'm supposed to be the better place as her son. I'm supposed to be the one she's with. How can she be in a better place if I'm not there with her? And he said it made him a very easy target for Satan to whisper to him, well, she left because you weren't worth it. She didn't stay because you weren't worth staying for. And then for him to talk about the abuse that he went through when he was six as, as a little boy. He didn't mention it much, but just briefly, that his first wife uh, was unfaithful. And once again, what's the message? You're not worth it. You're not worth staying for. And I, as, as, as the story unfolded, because I've heard the story, I've, I meet with them, I meet with him, more than I meet with her, I meet with both of them together at times. But I was amazed as I watched the story of the prodigal son unfold right here. Because he was telling us, I went away, I took that which God gave me, and I wasted it. I was out there in, in the world eating with the pigs, just wishing that I could go home. And at the time, he and Lisa were separated didn't know that the Holy Spirit was working on them individually. And then for her to stand here and, and say it so well, thanking God that she got to be the father that could, that could welcome her husband home and say to him, welcome home. Now again, that blows most people's mind a little bit and she was told so many times that you're foolish, that you're unwise, that you can't trust him, it would be better for you to just get this over with and end this right now and not trust him anymore because if he's able to do this, if he's able to do this, if he's able to do this and your imagination can go where it needs to go there, then you can't trust him. Is his wife, you can't trust him. And as I shared with you after they sat down because they shared it in their story, she understood from the Holy Spirit. She asked him, when, when can he come home? When can my husband come home? And the Holy Spirit gave her a date and she told him. So he comes home and he prepares to sleep in the other room. And she says, no, our room, our bed. She got to be the father and say to her husband, this prodigal who just wanted to go home, she got to say, welcome home. Try that without him. Try that without the Holy Spirit. Try that kind of transformation. Try that kind of healing. Try to develop that kind of testimony 
based on just behavior change, behavior modification, and I can assure you the story won't go like that. We cannot be a family. We can't say to each other, open our arms and say to each other, welcome home, if he's not present in the story. But I want to tell you this morning, my heart longs, our hearts long collectively to say to those around us, to the prodigals who are standing out there wondering, can I go home? Can I walk in there? How will I be greeted? How will I be treated? God gives us the privilege of being the father in these stories and opening our arms in anticipation of their return and saying to them, welcome home. Just welcome home. We cannot do it. We can only truly be at home if we are where our brother, capital B, promises to be. We're told in this passage that Jesus, think of this, our, our minds have to, to follow here. I'm, I'm going to try to take your mind somewhere. I'm going to try to get you to understand something so significant that Jesus, according to the scripture we're going to read in just a minute, was crowned with glory crowned with honor, and is our brother. So who is this brother? Who is this brother that wants me to be in his family? Well, I'm going to, if you're, if you're in chapter 2, turn back to chapter 1 for just a second because I want us to notice some things. I want us to notice in verse 2 that it says that, that God has said by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, he is my brother, whom he, who has made all the world. He is my brother. Verse 3, the brightness of his glory, my brother. The expressed image of the person of God is your brother, is my brother. Upholding all things by his power, that person has asked us into his family. Why would he do that? I mean, surely he can hang out with a better crowd than us with those kind of credentials. Verse 6, he says, and, he, and God says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Verse 8, he said, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Verse 10, and thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. That one, this one, counts me as his brother. Counts you as his sister. If that doesn't knock you off your feet, something is missing. I hear people all the time trying to talk about, well, I ran into this person. I know this person. They're the professional football player, basketball player. I know these people. I know this person. And they're name dropping all the time. Well, I want to drop a name in, in, in this crowd. I want to drop the name Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, he is my brother. He has invited me into his family. And I don't have to wonder if I'm going to see him again or if he would recognize me the next time he sees me because I'm going to drop that name regularly because he has invited me to be his brother. Go with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 9. The, why would he do it? 
Why would he, in his power, in his glory, his splendor, pay such a price that I could be his brother? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God should taste death for every man, a complete work. Why was he willing to be viewed as lower than the angels for a little while? Again, a bit hard to comprehend, but he answers his own question. He answers it immediately. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. We go into verse 10. It says, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. That scripture, verse 10, is packed with truth. He did it. Here's the answer. He did it to bring many sons to glory. I want to tell you there's a great deal of misunderstanding about that verse. He didn't do it so that you could, be, you could stand out in glory. Bringing many sons to glory, bringing many children to glory. Why would he do it? What is our glory? We will not get this passage if we don't know what is the glory of God that has been given to us. I think I know. I know that when, when all sinned and came short of the glory, what happened? Now, we just read in, in verse 1 that Jesus was the expressed image of the Father. That Jesus, in His humanity, was the expressed image of the Father. And He said it over and over, look at me and see Him. What is our glory? You'll find it in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, when God says, let us make man. How? In our image. What is my glory? What is your glory? That, you, that someone could look at me and see the image of God. Someone could look at us. Someone could see us. And we could say what Jesus said. Look at me and see him. No arrogance. No pride in that statement. No self-elevation in that statement because by his death, he has put me in a position where I can be so restored, so transformed that I can once again put on display the glory of God. How did he do it? He put his son in me. By the spirit of God, the life of Jesus Christ now pulses through these veins. The glory why would he do it? To call many sons to glory. What difference does it make? Because at one time on the face of the earth, there was only one person filled with the Spirit of God because he received it at his baptism who could put the full expression of God on display. Now guess how many there are. Many sons to glory. Many children to glory. He did it so that you and I could be so filled by the Spirit of God that we could also, by the same Spirit, 
by the same power, by the same authority, put Him on display each day of our life and with no arrogance tell someone who is lost, someone who is uncertain, someone who has lost their way, some prodigal that wants to come home, just say, look at me and see the Father. Welcome home. Welcome home. I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, God paid a high price to call many children to glory. Again, if we don't understand glory, we're going to miss the point. He didn't do it so that he could just elevate us. He didn't do it so that he could just praise us, to just lift us up and say, look, everybody, look how good these people look. They came all dressed up. Listen to how pretty they sing. He didn't do it so that we could be glorified. He did it so that he could be glorified. Where? In us. Call many sons to glory. I tell you what, we have the greatest privilege called by God with those credentials. He looks at us and he recognizes who we are. He looks at us and he recognizes who we have been. He came to set us free and to transform us because we have been loved. We have been so established that he could put his spirit in us so that we too could be the expressed image of the Father. Oh, I tell you what a privilege that is to get to leave here in a few minutes. Out into into a world that's, that's truly desperate to see him truly desperate to to get a look at, at the Father. How many prodigals do you think there are out there? How many people do you think they're, they're, they're just wondering, could I really go home? Could I, would I really be accepted? Would they really love me? Our glory is that we were made in the image of God. He paid the price so that there could be now thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of us. He said, I'm going away, but I'm sending to you that Holy Spirit, that comforter who will indwell you. The word perfect in that, in that verse 10 is a, is a unique word because to us, we think of the word perfect and we think in terms of quality. But when you read that word in Greek, that word in Greek where it says, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. He's not talking in a, in a qualitative term. The Greek word here means to make complete, to carry through completely or to accomplish or finish. By his suffering, he finished. By his suffering, he completed our salvation. It doesn't say that he became perfect in all that he did. It says he was already perfect. That didn't have to be established. He he completed a perfect work to establish our salvation. It was by that suffering that our salvation was made complete. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. For both, notice this carefully, for both, he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them Brothers, both Jesus who sanctified and those of us who are sanctified, it says 
He is not ashamed to call them brothers. In verse 17, verse 12 says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Man, that is, we have to be careful to make sure we get the pronouns correct because you read this and you're like, how could this possibly be? But this is Jesus still talking. When you read it from verse 10, he says, for both, and then to 11, for both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, that's speaking of Jesus, and also Jesus saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praises unto thee. We are of the same family. You cannot hurt without us hurting. You cannot struggle without us struggling. It's not because of our commitment to each other. We've tried that. I've watched churches try that. Just under some instruction, under some initiative, trying to become a very friendly church, trying to just put forth that picture, that example of what unity looks like. And it never feels normal. It's kind of like I've been into banks before. The one that really did this the most isn't open anymore. But you you walked in the bank and you you kind of began to think, okay, if, if I walk zigzag through this real quick, how many hellos and greetings can I miss? Because you're going to get it at every desk. It's like you're going to step in the door and somebody's going to say, good morning, it's good to see you, and you're going to take 10 steps and there's going to be somebody at the desk because you can tell they've been instructed to say this because this has got to be a friendly bank. And so everybody's, I mean, you get real busy and it's like you just, you just kind of get your blinders on and keep going because you don't want to stop and talk to everybody at every desk. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. You get to the next desk, somebody asks you another question. And you can tell it was an instruction. You could tell it was an initiative to be, to be friendly. We've tried that, and it won't work. That connection with him creates this one, being one between us. This is the picture because he brought it up in the, in the end of this when he says, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Can you hear his voice? Can you hear him singing with us when we sing? This is important. He says, is that him? (laughs) If it is, I got a question. I'd like to ask him. (laughs) If y'all want to know whose phone rang, just look around and see where the glow is, the red glow. Can you imagine him? Can you hear him singing with us? When I was in choir in high school, when choir here in those days was was a big deal. I mean, we met every morning, had choir practice at 7.30 every morning. (laughs) He's trying, he's trying. Yeah, he's calling back. 
Mr. Sparks was the band director, but he was also, he also led the choir and he's very good. But he told us something. He said, you don't have a great choir because you've got great voices. You have a great choir because you have great ears. You don't sing well because you, you have great voices. You sing well because you listen well to each other. Because it's in the listening you find the harmony. It's in the listening that you learn to blend. It's in the listening that you begin to make one sound by many voices. I want to tell you, if we will understand that this morning, that Jesus is making us a promise here. He said, when we sing praises unto the Father, Jesus says, if you will listen, you will hear my voice singing with you. And if we listen to him, what will happen to all of our voices? They will begin to create a harmony. They will sound like one voice singing all together the same way because we're listening to one voice. And we're making our voices fit, blend into his. And it will make our voices blend and fit together. Why this illustration? Because if I recognize that this is his family and he has invited us, all of us brothers and sisters into this family, if I will lift him up, if I will let him be the hub of the family and not some initiative that we've started to try to be a friendly church, you will not be able to stop us from being that friendly church because there will be a harmony to it. There will be a blending to it. There'll be a welcoming to it. The hearts will reflect it. The hearts will tell the story. Our hands will show the story. Our feet will go with the story because we built and understand the family is his family. I'm still a bit blown away that this one filled with glory, filled with splendor, said, Randy, I would really like for you to be my brother. It's like you got to look around and say, he's got to be talking to somebody else. I know me. I know my story. I know where I have been. I know what I've done. I know what I've seen. And you know what he's saying? You ought to be upset together right now. What would the father say? Yeah, welcome home. Welcome home. And when we know who he is, then you will not be able to keep your arms to your side because you will become the father in somebody's story. Somebody whose heart's broken, somebody who's been out there, who's, who's in the, the brokenness and the depth of their, of their sadness, their sorrow, their misery, and you stand there in front of them and say, welcome home. And by the way, let me, get, let me get the robe. Let me get the shoes. Let me get the ring. Because representing the Father, I, I, Parker said it, I carry his authority as an ambassador. I can say to someone, welcome home. Welcome home. We're going to stand in just a second. As a matter of fact, Jay, let's go ahead and get, get, head that way. It's made perfect here. Because we can hear him. But if we hear him first, he will bring harmony. He'll bring beauty. He'll bring unity. He'll bring glory.
He'll bring splendor. He'll bring truth. He'll bring revelation into this body. As we start singing, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Listen for his voice and sing with him. You'll be able to hear him if you listen. Father, thank you. Thank you for inviting us into your family. We read in Hebrews 1 of this remarkable, remarkable God, the creator of all things, by him, from him, through him, all things created. The glory, the radiance, the expressed image, the brightness of of his glory, all of these things described And you chose that we could be in your family. Father, that ought to change our lives. That ought to bring assurance. It ought to bring hope. It ought to bring revelation. It ought to just bring absolute joy that I get to go home and sit at your table and let you tell stories and let you share and let you give and let you love us. Thank you, Father, that we get to sit at your table and eat abundantly in the Spirit. Thank you, Father. I pray right now, Father, as we begin to sing, and you promised here in this verse that that as we sing, that you would come and lift up praises to the Father with us. I pray that we would listen for your voice because it may come in the sound of our neighbor's voice. It may come by somebody up front of you or behind you, you'll hear a voice and recognize that that's somebody's voice, but you'll suddenly know that it's not theirs anymore. It belongs to God. It's the Spirit singing through us. Let us hear your voice as we sing, Father, so that you can create the harmony. You can blend it together so that we can be this family and say to each other, welcome home. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.